Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right. Welcome to everybody all around the world. Welcome back. This has got to be episode number 24. Thank you for joining me. It's a great honor to have you with me. I hope you enjoyed the last episode. It was, uh, although it was a shorter episode, this here episode of 24 is going to be a feature length episode. We're going to get right back into the letters and we're going to talk about quite a few of them, as many as, many as we can get to on this episode. And uh, thank you for that. You know, in that last episode, I was really, you know, trying to communicate the 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 wonderful thing it is to be inspired to study this material. It's truly a wonderful thing. And how wonderful it is to inspire others to study this material. And I hope that we continue to do that and get some new folks on this uh, on this podcast and some more history enthusiasts, those folks out there. I, I imagine, again, much of the audience of this podcast is probably going to be history enthusiasts, but there's also going to be some folks who are just inspired to uh, seek out this particular topic and to learn something. The things that they, they always wanted to know about the Founding Fathers, perhaps, but never really learned in school, either at middle school, high school, university, etc. Whatever school structure you have around the world, uh, that's really the structure here in the United States. Um, similar in some respects to around the world, but not always. And, and some of you folks overseas, you may, you may learn some of this stuff in your schools. I don't know. Uh, I know in the United States, uh, this may come as quite a shock to you folks overseas uh, in other countries that in the United States, we really don't teach this stuff in school. Now, there's exceptions to that. There's a few schools that do. I know I, I can hear the voices out there, Roman, for Pete's sake, uh, my school taught this stuff. I, they, they, they spent an entire semester teaching this kind of material to it. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's the exception to the rule. Uh, in, in the United States, generally speaking, this information is absolutely not taught at all in any school or university for that matter, unless you take like a graduate level course or something like that. Uh, maybe not a graduate level course, but um, some very, very, very laser focused course, which is incredibly rare for anybody to do on this topic. Uh, like I said, that may be a shock to some folks around the world. I don't know. Let me know in, in a review to this podcast if you find that shocking. Like, they, they might be saying this themselves, oh my gosh, Roman, I'm, I'm shocked. Are you trying to tell me that in the United States of America, you don't study your own founding fathers and you don't study your own Revolutionary War in the beginning of the country? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Isn't that shocking? It's kind of a sad commentary on the United States, isn't it? But here we are. But good news, everybody all around the world. That's why I do this podcast. That's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. There's a couple other reasons, but that's definitely one of them. We're trying to make up for the dearth of education on this particular topic and uh, trying to have a lot of fun doing it, too, on, along the way. Uh, this podcast gets pretty serious at times. But uh, sometimes we uh, we have a little bit of fun and we uh, joke around a little bit. At least I try to as much as I can within the within the realm of the uh, the topic that we're talking about. So with that said, like I said, we're going to get into it again today. Uh, if you want to uh, visit the Patreon website for the podcast that I do there again, always available. Uh, link is in the description box to this podcast, or you can seek that out on patreon.com slash podcasts with Roman. Uh, I'm working on another episode of that podcast that I think is going to be a really good discussion. I really, really do. I'll, I'll let you know what that's going to be when I drop it over there. But uh, it's going to be very controversial, and it's it, anybody who listens to it, I mean, there's bound to be a few people. It's going to ruffle some feathers, probably. But, uh, you know, that's the that's the purpose of good intellectual discourse, isn't it? Uh, when, when, when people are really thinking and problem-solving, it's bound to ruffle some feathers and make, and make a few people a little nervous, perhaps a little upset. I think we're only going backwards if we're not ruffling a few feathers here and there. I mean, it is just discussion after all. It is just it is just a, a talk, a series of intellectual questions and answers. Uh, how, how bad could it possibly be? But I don't know. Some people are against that kind of thing. Some people don't like to be uh, challenged or they don't like to have their delicate sensibilities uh, offended. But um, frankly speaking, on, on this podcast and on the Patreon podcast... Uh, this is an intellectual pursuit. This isn't about, uh, you know, satisfying, you know, people's delicate sensibilities. And I, I hope you folks, uh, I hope some of you folks want to go along on that ride with me as well over on Patreon, but um, certainly here on this podcast. Now, what are we going to talk about today? What we're going to talk about today on this podcast is we're going to get a status update from John Adams and some others about what's going on in Congress and in Massachusetts around this event that happened in Episode number 22, I believe it was, the uh, Well-Regulated Militia Part 2. We talked about that incident of 4,000 Patriots. And the question is, 
were there any lingering after effects of that? Did it? What was the? What, how did that change the mood in Massachusetts, or did it? Did it affect the people of Massachusetts positively, negatively? Did it dissuade them from pursuing a, a challenge to what Great Britain was doing, or did it? Did it reinforce it? And we're going to figure that out. We are going to get the answer to that question because that's what we do on this podcast. We get the answers to questions that just don't get answered anywhere else. Because very few places is it that you can go and dive this deep into these letters from our founding fathers. So let's get into it. Let's start talking about that particular topic and answers to these questions right now. All right, let's get ready to party, people. Uh, let's read a letter here. We're going to start off with um, a letter from a Joseph Palmer written to John Adams. This was on September the 14th of 1774. And Mr. Palmer is going to update us on what exactly it is that's going on in Massachusetts after the 4,000 patriots decided to voice their opinion about their belief that the uh, the military of Great Britain was on a rampage, uh, which turned out to not be accurate, but uh, they believed it to be accurate for a time. So let's see what this Mr. Palmer has to say. He's going he's gonna to update our friend John Adams. Quote, The spirit of liberty is amazingly increased so that there is scarce a Tory and hardly a neutral to be found in the country. This province seems ripe for a more popular government, if not restrained by Congress, who will doubtless give all the encouragement to all that the good of the whole will admit of. Some talk of resuming our first charter, others of absolute independency, our eyes to the Congress. May wisdom direct your every step, end quote. So the spirit of liberty is amazingly increased. So that's good to know. And you know, it's it's yet further demonstration that these people were resolute. They they were very firm in their dedication to their rights and their liberties. They were not going to give up. And no military expedition so clandestine as it was is going to dissuade these people from pursuing their rights and their liberties. And we should all learn from this spirit. You know, we all have something to learn from these men of Massachusetts in 1774, don't we? I think we do. Then there's this quote right here talking about uh, something interesting. Quote, some talk of resuming our first charter, others of absolute independency, end quote. So this talk of independency, this is one of the earlier references that I've seen uh, to uh, an absolute separation from Great Britain during this particular period of time, 1774. But again, they still cast an eye towards the Congress. Quote, our eye is to the Congress, end quote. They're going to let their representatives in Congress have a chance at negotiating something where they get to keep their rights and their liberties, but they maintain some, some you know, attachment to uh, Great Britain. You know, if you ever wanted to know these people's intentions, I mean, if they wanted to start a shooting war, they could. They, they could have done it in a hot second, but they didn't. These people were tr- very moderate in their approach, very deliberative, but very, very determined. And those two things, you know, sometimes it's hard to get those things together in a group of people. Uh, a lot of times what happens is, is you get people who are moderate and they're cowards. They're, they're lazy, despicable cowards. And then you get other people who are determined in their liberty, but they're a bunch of uh, trigger-happy, rabble-rousing firebrands. In the United States Congress, and honestly in Massachusetts and a great many of the, the colonies at the time, you have that perfect mix of the, uh, the intellectual moderate approach but at the same time being firmly fixed in their goal. And they're not going to be dissuaded from it. They're not going to be bought. They're not going to be corrupted. They're not going to be negotiated down. They're going to get what they're going to get, and that is their liberty. A further lesson to us, uh, you know, all ages, you know, you know, a thousand years from now, this is going to be a great lesson in how to actually accomplish a goal and how to actually conduct ourselves if we're determined to keep our liberty. And the people are the people of Massachusetts are well represented by their their delegation, especially in the form of a Sam Adams or a John Adams. And it, it th- that's the big ticket item, you know. I mean, the, these representatives must be inclined to liberty. You know, if your if your representatives in government are not inclined to liberty as being the the sole purpose of them being there is is to maintain the people's liberty, then you you have yourselves one heck of a problem on your hands now, don't you? It's about being inclined to liberty, not government as an end unto itself. 
You know, a government as an end unto itself always leads to the same thing, oppression and tyranny. And too often, these people who get into government, it's all about the government. Government, government, government. I was listening to an interview, uh, it wasn't that long ago, by uh, somebody in a former administration, a uh, presidential administration. Actually, he was in two presidential administrations. And, you know, he, he, along with a number of other people, refer to themselves as institutionalists. That is to say, they don't believe in liberty. They won't say that, of course. That's not what he said. They will never say that, but believe me, that's what these people are like. They don't believe in liberty. They don't believe in the Constitution. They don't believe in the Declaration of Independence. They don't believe in the common man's rights. They don't believe in any of it. They believe in the institution of government. That's why they call themselves institutionalists. They believe in the institutions of government. And that's it. And that's government as an end unto itself. And that is incredibly dangerous. These people are dangerous, dangerous people. And as soon as you hear somebody say that, that they believe in the institutions, oh my gosh, run for the frickin' hills. Because that person is 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 going to set a fire. Either that or people like them will. And it's not going to be pleasant when it happens. You know, you need to get those people out of government as quickly as you possibly can. Because they will set a fire. And it's not going to be a good one. It's going to be a fire fueled by oppression and tyranny. And that sucker's going to burn hot until you put it out. Unfortunately, once that fire gets burning, trying to put that fire out is a little bit of a challenge. Some people might disagree. Oh, Roman, you're going too far. I don't believe it's it's wrong or inappropriate to believe in the institutions of government to serve the people and to serve democracy. Well, you know, as we've established before, you know, the United States is not a democracy, thank goodness. If the... Uh, you know, if the, if, if the country had been founded as a democracy, I'm pretty sure most of the founding fathers would have put their head in a wood chipper uh, long before the Constitution was ever ratified. But, you know, it's, it's not, a, you know, you can support certain institutions in government, that's perfectly fine, but to, to say that you, that's the thing you believe in, the thing you believe in, like I say, it's the sole thing that you believe in, that, that's a sad commentary. I feel sorry for people like that, and, fr and like I said, I don't want them anywhere near government, they're, they're, they're just a pathetic band of reprobates in my humble opinion. Let's continue on with this, uh, this letter, quote, you will see that our government has told us that the refusing submission to the late acts of parliament is general throughout the province, and that he should lay the same before his majesty. And since that, I have received satisfaction that our friends to government are convinced they can't carry these acts into effect, and are willing, if possible, to keep matters in a state of suspense until they hear from home. At the same time, they continue to entrench and fortify the neck professedly, and I believe really and only for self-defense." End quote. So he's saying that, you know, there is this general sentiment of refusal to submit to the intolerable acts, which is a good thing, thank goodness. I mean, government passes these intolerable acts, the worst thing you can do is go, Okay, I'll go along to get along. Okay, I don't want to rock the boat. Okay. He's basically saying that the people of Massachusetts are not doing that, thank goodness. You know, if they, if they had done that, I, I probably wouldn't be making this podcast right now. And the, the United States, whatever... Whatever that would be, you know, the colonies of Great Britain in, in the in the Americas would be in a sad state for sure. And the, the, he says that the uh, the government is even convinced that uh, that is to say the people loyal to the British government and these intolerable acts. It's not that the founding fathers weren't loyal to the British government, by the way. They just weren't loyal to tyranny. But the people who are loyal to tyranny, uh, or either that, or you know, tan you know, somehow connected to the government, or or quote convinced they can't carry these acts into effect. End quote. That's a good thing too. Uh, in other words, they're meeting heavy resistance to these things, which is good. But then there's this other note that this guy kind of throws in with the British here, and I'll tell you how that works. Quote, at the same time, they continue to entrench and fortify the neck, professedly, and I believe really and only for self-defense, end quote. So what's the neck? What does that mean? They're fortifying the neck. The neck is a reference, I believe, to this uh, narrow strip of land that connects Boston to the uh, mainland, New England. Uh, or at least it, there used to be a much narrower band there. I, I, it's been filled in over time, as I understand it. So they're they're basically entrenching and fortifying a strategic position around Boston. And this guy says, really, quote, really and only for self-defense, end quote. Uh, yeah, you know, but a lot of times before taking an offensive, uh, an offensive act, you first fortify a self-defensive position. I'll give you a perfect example of that. The Gulf War in 1991... There was this operation called Desert Shield, and, you know, after 
Saddam Hussein had invaded the, 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 the smaller nation of Kuwait, the, the United States and Saudi Arabia, frankly, were very concerned with uh, the position of the Iraqi military and the potential that it might actually continue and invade Saudi Arabia, which was a very real problem, a very real threat at the time. People forget about that, by the way. And people forget, you know, Saudi Arabia asked us to come to the Middle East. It's not like we kicked down the door and said, hey, Saudi Arabia, we're bringing troops whether you like it or not. No, the Saudi Arabians actually asked us to show up. For all you folks out there who, oh my gosh, the the, the imperialist United States. Hmm, yes, the evil imperialist United States uh, sent soldiers into the Middle East to oppress the poor people of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Ooh. No, they actually asked us to show up there, uh, along with everybody else who showed up there too, including the British and, you know, and, and Syria was involved, Egypt was involved, there was a great many people involved. I left some countries out, but you get the idea. Uh, forgive me if I didn't mention your country, uh, if you were involved in that operation. But anyway, they set up Operation Desert Shield as a means of, of, of setting up a, an initial defense of Saudi Arabia so that the uh, Iraqis couldn't invade south and take over the whole of Saudi Arabia, along with Kuwait, which would be nothing short of an unmitigated disaster. Now, that was really just preparation for the next operation, which was Desert Storm, which was the invasion and liberation of Kuwait, or really the invade, I should say the invasion of Iraq, southern Iraq, and the liberation of Kuwait. Quite expertly done, by the way. That, 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 if you haven't actually studied the Gulf War at any length, you should. It was an absolutely spectacular display of military precision and force. It really, truly was. And uh, shout out to our uh, our General Norman Schwarzkopf for pulling that operation off. He's unfortunately no longer with us, but a, a truly great man and a great patriot. Uh, he he left us a few years back. So this uh, this this self defense of the neck of Boston, the strategic position that the British are fortifying, I, I liken that to a kind of desert shield. They're really just in fortifying a defensive position for the purposes of making it a launching point for offensive operations. Does that make sense? And no, I, I was never in the military, but I think I know what I'm talking about here. I, I know enough about how the, how militaries do what they do to be able to form this up as an opinion, and I, I think some of you folks will probably agree with me on that. And we're going to find out in 1775 that my theory is 100% accurate. Again, I, I operate with 250 years of hindsight. I, I, I know what the British are doing here because I know what they're going to do in about six months. I'm not, I'm not looking into my, my crystal ball here and uh, making some proclamation or a prediction that I don't already know is going to happen. So uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a genius uh, military tactician. I just simply know what's going to happen. But again, he doesn't know that at this point. He doesn't know that the British are going to launch offensive military operations out of Boston uh, directed towards the people of Massachusetts, but that's exactly what they're going to do. And, and uh, just to revisit again this refusal to submit to the late acts of the, uh, the intolerable acts, the, the late acts of Parliament— Again, like we said earlier in the letter, this is because these men are determined to be free. They are 100% determined to be free. And that's what I like about these guys of uh, Massachusetts in 17, and women uh, in, in the Massachusetts in 1774. It was a whole population of people for the most part. There, there were some Tories, there were some loyalists, some people who are willing to sell their soul for a buck out there, just like there always is, isn't there? I mean, in the United States today. There, there's plenty of people willing to sell their soul for a buck. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're around. You'll see them. Uh, you'll, you'll hear them, you know, talk when they open their mouth and start talking. And there, there's people like that everywhere. There's people like that in Europe, in Asia, etc. They're always there, and they're always a big pain to deal with. Uh, unfortunately, we have to share the world with these people. It is what it is. You know, we, we do the best we can tolerating their crap while, while the people of Massachusetts in 1774 do the heavy lifting for the, for the cost of liberty. And on the, the people of Massachusetts in 1775 are going to do even more of the heavy lifting, and they're going to die for it, too, by the way. Not all of them, obviously, but a, a great many of them will. So let's, uh, let's move on to our next letter here. This is going to be a letter from John Adams to Abigail Adams, written on September the 14th, 1774. Quote, the Congress will, to all present appearances, be well united, and in such measures, I hope will give satisfaction to the friends of our country. A Tory here is the most despicable animal in the creation. Spiders, toads, snakes are their only proper emblems. The Massachusetts counselors and addressers are held in curious esteem here, as you will see. The spirit, the firmness, the prudence 
of our province are vastly applauded, and we are universally acknowledged the saviors and defenders of American liberty. The designs and plans of the Congress must not be communicated until completed, and we shall move with great deliberation, end quote. Fantastic update from our from our good friend John Adams as to the uh, disposition of the Congress dis- during this particular period of time. Uh, they seem to hold the people of Massachusetts in very high esteem, and that is absolutely fantastic. And they actually, quote, acknowledge the saviors and defenders of American liberty, end quote, as being these people in Massachusetts. And I agree wholeheartedly. The people of Massachusetts in 1774, 1775, uh, honestly, in the world, there was there was nobody else like them. They were carrying the torch of liberty for the entire planet at this particular period of time. And there was nobody better than the people of Massachusetts. And I would say that the people of Massachusetts today should take that to heart. And they should embrace the folks that came before them in the country of Massachusetts. Yes, I said country. Because did you catch that? Quote, I hope will give satisfaction to the friends of our country, end quote. That's what John Adams said. He wasn't talking about the country, the United States of America. That didn't exist. He was talking about Massachusetts. So I hope that the people of Massachusetts today will follow the example of their countrymen before them in the country of Massachusetts. And they will be always and forever, quote, the saviors and defenders of American liberty, end quote. And if if they should fail in that task, I certainly, certainly hope that somebody else will pick up the torch either here in the United States or somewhere else in the world, because somebody has to do it. And letting go of that and forgetting that and forgetting the lessons of history is going to be the doom of us all. That's why I was so adamant in the previous episode, inspiring history, the study of this material and learning these lessons. How do the people of Massachusetts today even know that the people who came before them in their country were, quote, the saviors and defenders of American liberty, end quote? They don't know. Unless they study this stuff. Some of them do know today, because so, some of them do study this stuff. Thank goodness. Thank goodness there are people in Massachusetts studying this stuff. I'm, I'm thoroughly thrilled and happy that that is, that is the case. Because we need that. We need the people of Massachusetts to be like the people of Massachusetts in 1774. We always do. And I applaud anybody in Massachusetts who is studying this material and maintaining the proud tradition of the Defenders of American Liberty in Massachusetts. And, you know, for those of you listening to this podcast in Massachusetts, it's an honor to have you here. And I hope that you will spread the word in Massachusetts and uh, rekindle that that feeling uh, in Massachusetts that they are indeed the saviors and defenders of American liberty. I hope so. Don't leave it to anybody else. Don't count on anybody else to do this. It's really, it's up to you folks in Massachusetts. You have to carry that torch because you never know. Somebody else might not be around to pick up the torch of liberty. You never know. And I, I, I really believe that the people of Massachusetts in 74, 75, 1774 and 75, that is, they will forever and for all time hold that title. And it's because they, they did not back down. And even when they were shot at and assaulted by the most intimidating military force in the history of the world, or certainly in the world at that time, they didn't back down. And let these men be an example to us all. You know, the likes of a Samuel Adams or a John Adams or a Dr. Warren, you know, the latter of whom gave his life in 1775 for the defense of that liberty in Massachusetts. Thank goodness for these men. Let's continue on. Let's uh, move on to a diary entry of John Adams. This is from uh, September 17th of 1774. I'm going to read this and also a letter that goes along with it, both conveying basically the same concept. Quote, This was one of the happiest days of my life. In Congress, we had generous, noble sentiments and manly eloquence. This day convinced me that America will support the Massachusetts or perish with her. End quote. So he's basically saying that he he is very happy that the folks in Congress have reassured him that the whole of America will support Massachusetts or they will die with her. In other words, they will give their all to the cause of liberty in Massachusetts, now under tyranny, a military governor, martial law in the city of Boston, and under constant military threat from British regulars operating in the colony. Now, I, I do sometimes wonder, because I always like to ask questions when I, when I read this. Uh, that's, the, that's, that's what we do here. If liberty in the United States were so threatened today as it was in 1774, if there was some tyrannical situation that existed, and one particular state within the Union 
maybe Massachusetts, maybe another state, were under some kind of tyranny or attempted tyranny, would America as a whole stand with that particular state or those people and defend liberty today and in the future? Well, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. But what if it doesn't? You know, that's that's a dark thing to think about. You know, what if it what if they don't stand with liberty? What if liberty is under threat in one particular state or more, and the rest of America just kind of says, "Ah, don't worry, it's nothing for us to worry about. Work, work. We got. I, I got a show on Netflix. I'm watching here. It's not. It's nothing for me to worry about. This this thing called liberty and this this uh state off. You know, off over on the other side of the country. I don't care. Now, you know, if that ever happens, then America is not America anymore. You know, and and those so inclined to not stand with liberty and to to to, to persist in their laziness, for lack of a better way of putting it, should never call themselves America Americans again, ever, if that, if that should be the case. Heaven forbid. But instead, they should rather call themselves uh, traitor and fool instead of Americans. Again, the, the model to follow here is the, the, men of seven, the men and women of 1774 and 1775. And let's hope that the United States of America never falls from that example. Let us hope. Now let's read... Uh, Something that, that goes hand-in-hand hand with that, uh, a letter written from John Adams to a Richard Cranch on September the 18th, 1774. Quote, The Congress will support Boston and the Massachusetts or perish with them, but they earnestly wish that blood may be spared if possible, and all ruptures with the troops avoided. Break open my letters to my wife, and then send them as soon as possible. End quote. He talks of these ruptures with the, with the troops. Quote, All ruptures with the troops avoided. End quote. Uh, rupture basically means here uh, conflict with the troops should be avoided. So again, it's it's a demonstration that uh, the people of the Congress are are not inclined at all to engage with British troops. They don't want to. They don't want it to go there. They want to avoid it. They want to find find a way a solution to this problem that doesn't include armed conflict. These were not trigger happy individuals. They weren't. But should the worst come, should the worst possibly happen. Quote, the Congress will support Boston and the Massachusetts or perish with them, end quote. What do we mean when we say live free or die? Give me liberty or give me death. That used to be a great sentiment in the United States of America. I'm sad to say it's not anymore. Now, it is in certain circles. It is in certain circles, but as, as, a, as, a, as for the country as a whole, I, no, it, it's, not, it's not much of a sentiment anymore. Uh, now, the question is, are those who do hold that sentiment sufficient to the cause. That is to say, sufficient to the cause of liberty. I don't know, honestly. Uh, that's something that time will answer. Uh, we, are, we are talking about what the Founding Fathers did 250 years after the fact. 250 years from now, from the time that I am delivering this podcast episode, we will know the answer to that question. We will know whether those so inclined today, as the people of the Congress were back in 1774, if the, their numbers are sufficient to the cause of liberty. Because right now, we do not have that answer. That's part of the, uh, the fog of war, the fog of history. We just don't know yet. Let us continue on. These are some good letters, aren't they? I really enjoy these. Um, I'm so glad I get to, get to find these letters for you folks and for us uh, in our, our study group, as I like to call it sometimes, on the Founding Fathers. I'm so glad that, uh, that we could share this information. And if the, the Founding Fathers were alive today, I would, I would thank them abundantly for writing all this stuff down and, and saving this material. It's, it's fantastic. It's a great education for us. Uh, this is going to come from another diary entry of John Adams, a diary entry dated September the 1st of 1774. Quote, I find that there is a tribe of people here exactly like the tribe in Massachusetts of Hutchison Addressers. There is indeed a set in every colony. We have seen the revolutions of their sentiments. Their opinions have undergone as many changes as the moon. And the time of, at the time of the Stamp Act, and just before it, they professed to be against the parliamentary claim of right to tax Americans, to be friends of our constitutions, our charter. Bernard was privately secretly endeavoring to procure an alteration of our charter, but he concealed his designs until his letters were detected. Hutchison professed to be a staunch friend to liberty and to our charter until his letters were detected. A great number of good people thought him a good man and a sincere friend to the congressional congregational interest in religion and to our charter privileges. They went on with this Machiavellian dissimulation until those letters were detected. After that, waited until the Boston port was passed 
and then thinking the people must submit immediately, and that Lord North would carry his whole system triumphantly, they threw off the mask. Dr. Smith, Mr. Galloway, Mr. Vaughn, and others in this town are now just where the Hutchinsonian faction were in the year 1764, when we were endeavoring to obtain a repeal of the Stamp Act, end quote. So these people that he's talking about here are people who have betrayed the people of Massachusetts in the past. We've talked about them before. You might recognize the name Hutchison, but these people were basically leaders of sorts within the colonies, um, what we would call politicians today, who said one thing and then did another. Quote, they threw off the mask, end quote. They were wearing a mask, pretending to be a friend to the people of Massachusetts and to their liberties, but in reality, they weren't. Quote, he concealed his designs until his letters were detected, end quote. He said that of two people, including Hutchison. Quote, Hutchison professed to be a staunch friend to liberty and to our charter until his letters were detected, end quote. Now, isn't that a problem that we face today? I wonder if we peeled back the layers on people in Congress and Parliament and elsewhere, how many of them who, who profess to be a friend to liberty or, you know, the usual statement that gets my blood boiling, you know, a friend of democracy. Oh, a friend of, oh, it's all about the democracy, our, our, our sacred democracy, which doesn't exist in the United States and never has, by the way, thank goodness. How many of those people profess to be a friend of liberty or democracy, as they call it, which is really a euphemism for something else? How many of them would be proved liars if their quote-unquote letters were detected? I would imagine a great many of them. Oh my, oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you? How dare you question the integrity of these saints, these, these marble statues of integrity serving the will of the people in Congress and Parliament and elsewhere? You, you terrible human being, Roman, I tell you. Yeah, I know, I've heard it all. But in reality, meanwhile, back in reality, once we leave fantasy land for a few minutes, a lot of folks out there will understand where I'm going with this and understand my sentiments. It's not just in, seven, in, in the 1760s and the 1770s when Hutchison and his ilk were marching about the country of Massachusetts, uh, professing to be one thing and doing another. It wasn't just then that we have to worry about these things. We have to worry about that today. And we have had to worry about that in the United States, certainly. But honestly, in every country of the world, we've had to worry about that. Every single minute of every single day, since Hutchison was walking around in the colony of Massachusetts. It's always a problem. It's a constant threat. These are dangerous people, especially, and, and honestly, you want to talk about, quote, they threw the mask off, end quote. I've said it before, you know, I've said, I've, I've said it a few times. In the United States, at least, when these people talk about our democracy, which doesn't exist, and never has. When they talk about our democracy and how, oh, they just, they, they live for the people. It's all for the people and democracy. We must save democracy. They're actually giving you a clue, aren't they? Aren't they, aren't they providing to you a window behind the mask? Aren't they, aren't they revealing something to you when they say that? Because remember what I said, anybody who, any, well, let me rephrase, any politician who should know better and honestly, any historian who should know better, who refers to the United States of America as a democracy, is either dumber than a hammer or they're lying to you. And I would argue that most of them are not dumber than a hammer. They're lying to you. And what are they lying about? I've asked that question. I, I think I, the very first time I mentioned that, I, I, I asked you to ponder why they're lying to you. And I think in this letter, we have gotten at least part of the answer. And again, again... This is a theory of mine based on everything that the Founding Fathers are telling us. Number one, the United States is not a democracy, it's a republic. That's Benjamin Franklin and John Adams very resolutely telling you that. We've talked about this before. And now we've got John Adams talking about, quote, the mask, end quote, and the exploits of these people like Hutchison and the various other deceivers that walked around Massachusetts saying that they are a friend to liberty, but really doing something else. And the people of Massachusetts figuring this out after their, quote, letters were detected, end quote. I'm putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And I'm thinking, and you can ponder this, and if you disagree with me, I want to hear from you. Leave a review on this podcast, on, on Apple Podcasts, or you can segue over to the Patreon website if you so choose. And you can leave a comment, question, whatever there. As long as it's constructive criticism, I appreciate it. Even if you disagree with me, I'm fine with that. Because uh, this is just a theory of mine. I think, quite possibly, those who refer to the United States as a democracy and do so repeatedly 
are letting you see behind the mask. And I, I don't think they realize they're doing it. Well, maybe they do, but they're counting on you being stupid. They are counting on you to be stupid and not realize what they're telling you. Because they don't believe that you're educated. They don't believe that you've read any books or any letters or studied this material in the least. They believe that you're watching Netflix and that's all you're doing. There I go harping on Netflix getting Roman for Pete's sake. We got it. You hate Netflix. Why in the world do you keep hopping on Netflix? It's just a foil. Uh, it's just, it's my thing. It's, 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 uh, I use it for target practice. Not literally, metaphorically, for all you people out there who are going to get upset with me for saying the term target practice. You get the idea. It's a, a, a verbal target practice, so to speak. Uh, it's, it's, it's basically a wall uh, against which I, I beat this bat uh, that I'm trying to, trying to drive home. But you get the idea. They they don't. This is again why I made that last episode inspiring history. Uh, the previous episode that is, we have to be an educated people, or these folks will ride roughshod over us until we are in the grave, and probably an early grave if they get their way. Oh my gosh, Roman, you're being too harsh. Now you're talking about an early grave. I know. I know. Uh, some folks out there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna upset their delicate sensibilities, but, you know, I'm not in the business of, uh, of trying to gratify people's, you know, delicate sensibilities. I'm just in the business of the truth. And I'm trying to convey a message here from the Founding Fathers, a, a message I, I firmly believe is buried in these letters. Again, you, th this is, John Adams wrote for decades, decades and decades and decades. And to be able to build a tapestry of what this man was trying to tell us, you have to put the pieces of the puzzle together. You have to thread that tapestry together. And we're starting down that road. There you go. So either you agree with me that uh, those folks who, the, the politicians and the historians who talk about democracy when they know they shouldn't, uh, you either agree with me that they're letting you behind the mask, or you think it's much ado about nothing. And if you think it's much ado about nothing, that's perfectly fine. Everybody is entitled to their opinion. I am not going to yell at you. I am simply going to give you the option, the option to see it a different kind of way, because that's what I'm here for. And I thank you for uh, listening to me and entertaining my uh, my theory based upon the firm words and uh, the sound judgment of the Founding Fathers, including this Mr. John Adams. So let us uh, continue reading. Let's start. Let's go to another letter here. This is going to be our last for the day. Uh, for those of you now thinking, my goodness, how many letters is he going to read on? This is going to be our last for the day, although we're, ma we're making good time. So that's uh, that's fantastic. This is going to be a letter from our friend, our good friend of the podcast, uh, frequent guest on the podcast, actually, Mr. William Tudor. Uh, you folks will remember that name. And this is a letter written to our good friend, Mr. John Adams. And this was uh, written on September the 22nd of 1774. Quote, General Brattle still continues exiled to Boston, which is now the city of refuge for the traitorous group that composed the infamous Divian, and is, I believe, the most miserable being existing. You may read, said the Duke of Florence, that we are commanded to forgive our enemies, but you never read we are commanded to forgive our friends. Brattle has been a pretended friend to his country, but his base temporizing has brought him the detestation of some and the contempt of all, end quote. So he's talking about this General Brattle. Back when we were talking about 4,000 patriots a couple of episodes ago, General Brattle came up. He was the guy who wrote the letter to General Gage complaining, whining and complaining about the people of the town that he was uh, he was operating around coming and getting retrieving their powder, that is to say their ammunition, from the store. We, I, I believe they did that because they, they knew that the king's troops had access to that store center for the powder, and they believed that the king was going to come and steal it eventually. And in 1775, they're going to be proved correct, by the way. We're going to find that out in 1775, that they were 100% correct in their assumption. That's why they did it. And Mr. Brattle saw, saw this, excuse me, General Brattle saw this, and he started complaining and whining to General Gage, and that's when General Gage planned his midnight raid. It wasn't a midnight raid. It was an early morning, like, pre-dawn raid, as I understand it. And that, that's, I get that from a, um, a book that was written on the subject. It didn't come out of the letters. It's somewhat still a mystery to me exactly how much of a pre-dawn early raid it was, but that's the way it has been purported to be. But, uh, that, that is, General Brattle's letter inspired General Gage to do his, you know, pre-dawn raid to take the king's powder out of that same storehouse, and take it back to Cambridge or Boston again. I have no idea what they did with it after they uh, after they took it. General Brattle basically lit off a tinderbox 
and the people of Massachusetts are none too happy with General Brattle, and so he's still exiled in Boston under the protection of the British military. That's how serious this, this issue was. And, you know, Mr. Tudor here uh, certainly doesn't like him very much. He said, quote, I believe the most miserable being existing, end quote. That's what he belie- That's what he thinks about General Brattle. That's interesting, isn't it? And he, he has this line down here, quote, Brattle has been a pretended friend of his country, but his base temporizing has brought on him the detestation of some and the contempt of all, end quote. This is another one of those people wearing the mask, right? I mean, that's what it sounds like. So he was a he was a pretended friend to his country, that is to say Massachusetts. But he kind of stabbed him in the back, right? So he was another guy wearing the mask. That's why I brought this letter out to you, because, you know, this there's these people are all over the place, right? You know, and, and John Adams, you know, in a letter previous, let's uh, let's go back to that. Quote, I find that there is a tribe of people here, exactly like the tribe in Massachusetts of Hutchesonian addressers. There is indeed a set in every colony, end quote. He's talking about these people who are, you know, not friends of liberty. There, there's a set in every colony, right? And I mentioned to you before that even in the United States today, they're, they're, they're around. We know them. We've heard them. And in every country, they're around. These people wearing the mask. People like to, you know, people like to wear masks. There's even a group of people. I'm not going to get too much into this right now. This is some. This is a subject for a later time. I'm just going to allude to it, and I'll create a mystery for you folks. There's a there's a number of people who like to wear the mask who pretend themselves to be. I don't know. I don't know if they they pretend themselves to be friends of liberty, but they certainly pretend themselves to be friends of some kind of free spirited nature. I, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. I don't want to get too specific. And the mask that they wear would be very recognizable to uh, most people in society. And I can tell you that John Adams actually commented on that mask in his writings. It's very, very hard to find that, by the way. You have to really read a lot of John Adams' writings to be able to find this very obscure reference to that mask. But I found it uh, because I spent a great many hours reading John Adams' And I can tell you, he was he, it, it, his sentiments about it are very interesting, very interesting. Uh, but, but anyway, be be wary of people who wear masks. Let's just I'll just leave it at that. Be very wary of people who wear masks. And when I say masks, I mean masks that are the traditional masks. Like if I if I had mentioned this in two thousand one or two or three, and I said mask to you. Whatever, whatever image that cultivates in your head is probably the accurate one, uh, not, the, not the image that you cultivate in your head today. I'm not even going to mention that. I make it a point on this podcast not to mention that for very, very good reason. But anyway, be, be wary of these people who, you know, who wear these uh, political masks, I, I guess is the way I'll describe it. I'll, I'll, that's the term I'll use from henceforth. I shall use this term. Uh, beware of people who wear these political masks. You know, because the, these people, you know, they hide out in the corners, you know, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, they're they're very visible. You see them. It's not like they're in a dark corner. They usually try to make themselves very visible, but again, they, they pretend to be something they're absolutely not. And in every country, it's probably a little bit different and also a little bit the same. Uh, you, you folks in countries other than the United States probably, you, you probably have your own version of this. And trying to weed these people out, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff... It is always a problem. It's it's a difficult thing to do. And how do you do it? How in the world do you recognize the wheat from the chaff? Well, you educate yourself. Understand how the founding fathers of the United States of America fought this problem. How did they fight this problem of the Hutchinson types and the Brattles of the world, General Brattle? And how did they how did they strive to maintain their liberty around these people? Well. You know, they, they they understood history the way Mrs. Adams understood it. See, she recognized it. We talked about that letter where she, she basically uh, compares King George III to Philip of Macedon and this uh, this time period around ancient Greece, Sparta, etc. So she knew, she knew what King George was from the start, from when he started issuing these tyrannical edicts. She knew who he was because she'd seen it before in her books. That's why we have to be inspired to study this history. We have to be inspired to return to our books and our reference materials from time to time, and also to join together in a study group like this podcast and really get into uh, some great discussions about what the Founding Fathers did to address these various problems that they were encountering in, in 250 years ago. And who better to learn from than America's Founding Fathers? 
They accomplished a heck of a thing. Again, whatever you think of them personally, uh, each every one of the Founding Fathers was a little bit different. These are very individual people. You know, people sometimes try to put them in some monolithic block of people. And even sometimes I may be guilty of that myself. But really, they were very individual people. They, they all had their own unique personalities, beliefs, uh, passions, their own religions. And, you know, I actually read a letter about this uh, recently about Congress when it was meeting and their, their trouble getting prayers uh, said inside the Congress because they were concerned about the varying religions that they had inside the Congress. It was an interesting discussion, and they eventually settled on a prayer in Congress. Uh, specifically, I believe Samuel Adams was one of the moderators of that debate, and he got the issue fairly well settled uh, to say a prayer in the Congress. Uh, so much for uh, separation of church and state, huh? Yeah, I've, I've said it before. Again, the Founding Fathers didn't really believe in that. That was an obscure reference pulled out of a letter from Thomas Jefferson. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Declaration of Independence. It's really nowhere to be found in the uh, the Articles of Government for most places, especially, the again, John Adams' original draft for the Constitution for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. That thing, I've read it, by the way. I've read that draft, and it's it's got God from the beginning of it until the end of it. I mean, it's just all over the place in there. That's going to be something we talk about on a future episode of this podcast. Look forward to it. Uh, I, I certainly do. I've got a lot of material to talk about in that regard. But uh, again, that's uh, that's another discussion for another time. I just want—I just had a little uh, sidebar there for a second as I was discussing my concluding uh, sentiments to this episode. So uh, I, I have some more concluding remarks, as I always do, in the third section of this podcast. And let's get into that right now. All right. Well, that you know that was a, I had a lot of fun doing that uh, that section of the podcast we just concluded with the uh, the letters. These letters were 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 very interesting. I think there was a lot to them as far as the sentiments of the people of Massachusetts and John Adams uh, immediately after this incident of four thousand patriots at the beginning of the month, the beginning of September seventeen seventy four. That is. And I'm, I'm happy to know, and of course, I, I know from history, that they were not in any way shaken in their, their stance uh, for liberty. They were, they were very much uh, still very firm, very, very firm in their stance for liberty. And I, I'm happy about that. We all are. I mean, we're all, I mean, the people of the United States, and honestly, a great many people in the world, too, are the, the benefactors uh, of this stance for liberty in Massachusetts. I wonder how many people today even realize how much they've, how much, like in the rest of the world, the, the, the people outside the United States, not everybody, but some, some people outside the United States have benefited greatly from these men of Massachusetts. It really all ties back to these men of Massachusetts. Remember what we said about Samuel Adams? He was such a strong character. Just that one man was such a strong character. John Adams believed that the true history of the revolution could not be written without the character of Samuel Adams. And the people of Massachusetts, were a big part of that too. And I mentioned to you during this particular episode of the podcast that, you know, the goal, the, the situation of the Gulf War. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You know, the people of Kuwait have a country today and they're free to do as they will in that country because of the United States of America, in part, along with our friends who participated uh, in that, uh, the liberation of that, that country, including, including interestingly enough, uh, the great nation of Britain. Isn't that interesting how things change after about 200 years? You know, old enemies come together as friends, you know, and I think the people of Great Britain, and there were a great many people in Great Britain at the time of 1774 who were very, very friendly with the, the colonies. They had, their, their sentiments were very strong with the colonies. They really wanted the colonies to continue as they were and to maintain a, a great relationship as part of the British Empire. They really did. It just didn't work out that way. And, you know, I think afterward, and certainly after the War of 1812, the United States and Great Britain came back together finally and realized that there was so much that they could do together. There was so much that they could do as partners. And some great things were done, including the Gulf War and the liberation of Kuwait and the defense of Saudi Arabia. And there were, there were Arab countries that also participated in that. And uh, there, were, there were several Arab countries that participated. Kuwait participated in their own liberation. Egypt, again, Syria. Uh, it, was a, it was a good coalition of people coming together for a very common purpose. And it was a good purpose. It was a very, very good purpose. And a lot of people forget about that war, and I'm sad, sad to see that. 
because a lot of countries deserve recognition for what transpired there. Uh, Saudi Arabia deserves recognition for that, as as does again the the people of Great Britain and 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 several others that, that I didn't mention here. I don't. I, I forgive me again if I left your country out. I don't mean to um, neglect your sacrifice. That's certainly not my intent here. I certainly uh, give a give a solid uh, thank you to all the countries that participated in that. But again, it really all ties back to Samuel Adams and John Adams and the people of Massachusetts in this fight for liberty and building the United States up into what it would eventually become. And again, uh, you know, not, not only the Gulf War, but also in World War II, again, the United States and Britain partnered together again to defeat tyranny in the world. And a great many people are free and better off because of it. The United States has, has accomplished a lot of good things. There have certainly been some questionable things. Uh, that's not the purpose of this podcast to really get into all that. But I just want to make it a point that the things these people did in 1774 and 1775 really do reverberate through the ages. And they'll continue to do so. And while no country is perfect, the, 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 the men of 76 really did set up the opportunity to do some great things. And it's fantastic that we have that legacy of Samuel Adams, especially, the character that really drove the American Revolution. And honestly, was just a, a flag bearer for liberty is all he was. I don't think he wanted a shooting war as mu- any, any more than anybody else did. He was going to defend that liberty, just like we read about today on all these letters. These people were just determined. They were ready to go. And uh, if they had to fight for their liberty, they were going to. And in a few months' time, in the course of these letters, we're going to get into that fight and the war. You can see it building. You know, like I said, we almost had the Revolutionary War in September of 1774, when General Gage and General Brattle did what they did. It almost happened. Between what they did, the surprise of it, the shock of it, and somebody, whoever that was, who misrepresented exactly what was going on, they exaggerated it, we almost had a Revolutionary War kickoff. But we're getting there, folks. We're, we're going we're gonna to arrive at that moment when it does finally happen, and we're going to talk a lot about that. So thank you again for joining me on this episode of the podcast. It, it is a great honor to have you here, and I look forward to seeing some of you folks over on the Patreon side of things eventually, if you so choose. Again, I've got a, another episode that I'm working on for that uh, that's in the, the planning stages now. I, I think I know what I want to say with that. And like I said, it's going to be controversial. Some of you folks may disagree with me. But, disagree with me, but honestly, I look forward to that. In in good discussions between well-intentioned people, disagreement is bound to happen. And there's not a problem with that. It's just a difference of opinion. And it's 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 how we all learn. I learn sometimes by somebody having a difference of opinion with me, as I'm sure you learn by somebody who has a difference of opinion with you. And it's a, it's a controversial topic, but I'm going to cover it. And uh, I look forward to seeing you folks over there on the Patreon side. It'll drop within the next week, I suppose. Uh, until then, there's some other good episodes. If you want to join the Patreon side and listen to those, there's other good episodes over there as well. And the next episode of this podcast... Uh, the Letters from Our Fathers podcast is going to be another short-form episode. I'm going to try to find some information to talk to you about uh, in a shorter form that's going to be interesting and hopefully, uh, you know, get the get you thinking about, you know, again, more of this kind of topic that we're talking about here on this episode and other episodes as well. So, with that said, a great honor to have you join us here on the podcast. I certainly look forward to the next episode, which I think is going to be some good fun. And with that said, this is Roman signing off. 